Hello, my friends. I'm curious to know how many of you have a leadership pipeline. We know that great leaders grow companies because we talk to them here on the show every day. But what are you doing to create great leaders within yours? If you're a CTO, it is 100% your responsibility to grow and improve your people beyond just their coding abilities. We've built a tool that improves your people in their craft and in leadership. Visit leaderbits.io to learn more. Today we are talking to Nick, the CTO of Drop Solid, and we discuss making the transition from startup to enterprise, organizing your teams around people rather than projects, and connecting the dots between business processes as a CTO. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Where are you located? I'm in uh, Belgium. So it's uh, 5 p.m. now. Wow. How did you get there? Uh, I live here. I was born here. So, uh, yeah, Um, I I did travel around a bit to Boston and to Spain, but I ultimately ended up back home, basically. Yeah, Boston's a pretty, is growing, like as a huge tech area. Yeah, it's massive. Uh, Yeah. So what, what were you doing there? I was working for Acquia. Um, Acquia is, um, yeah, when I joined, it was a startup with, I think, 60 people. I think they're around 1,000 or 800 people right now in, in a year or four. Uh, so they, oh. they were booming massively. Um, so I was kind of recruited as an intern initially in Belgium, and then uh, with a requirement to move to Boston uh, to um, be part of the main office. And what's their main goal there? The main goal of uh, Acquia is mm-hmm. to, um, it's, it's probably two parts. Um, one is the main driver of making ambitious digital experiences with open source software, mainly with uh, Drupal, if uh, you've heard of that software. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so the um, creator of Drupal is the CTO of Acquia. Really? Yeah. So that's um, how I ended up in that world. And uh, that same software is still probably 90% of my uh, working hour goals uh, in the current company I work for. So it, it never really left me. So so how do you say his name? Dries? Is that how you say his name? Dries. Dries? Dries or in, in Flemish, Dries. And his Dries. last name is even more difficult. It's uh, Bertard. Bertard. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's just not how it looks like you would say it. Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah. And so you got to work with them at Acquia when they first started? Yes. So um, when they were, well, somewhat small, um, mm-hmm. I joined. Um, and then after a couple of years, um, as I lived a year in Boston, I moved back to Belgium and worked from a remote office for them. Um, I, I really wanted to make a certain difference in the, the tech world in Europe because I saw that it was really difficult to, to grow adoption on a, a bigger scale in Europe as there's a lot more smaller to medium businesses in Europe compared to the US, which is kind of logical because um, you have all these small, small markets here in Europe. Um, so if you want to grow big, you either have to do something really, really right, like Google or Facebook, or you probably will stay somewhat small. What's the average size, like 10, 15 people, 30 people? Mm, well, of, of an average small to medium business, yeah, probably uh, 10 to 20 maybe a lot of them will go up to 60, maybe 80, um, but it's it's difficult to go higher. 
So do you find a lot of duplication then? Like, because there's these small clusters? Like, um, duplication and ideas, like the same idea done over and over with different brands in different areas? Probably yes, um, but because there's so many languages, not everyone will know. Oh. Um, because like, you don't really know what's going on in France, even though that's so close to you. I will probably even go further. We don't know in Belgium what's going on in the French part of Belgium because it's a different language and a very different culture, also business and tech-wise. Really? That's something so unique because we don't, I don't have that here. No, it's, it's really unique. Um, in, in the US, as far as I understand, it's quite easy for a person to relocate to some other state because that's where you got the job. And a lot of people do that, and it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's always the same language, and most likely the same culture, more or less. I know there's some differences here and there, but that's uh Yeah, they're, um, they're small differences, but they're not, like, unlivable, you know? Like, right. you, can, you can always find your group in every area. But maybe if you move to Spain from Belgium, you have to learn Spanish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because not everyone will know English. Right. Um, and your own language will also not work at all, so... Um, yeah. that's, that's very different. Yeah. My sister moved to China and, and she has been there for a couple of years and she, she's explaining to me how different it is, like culture wise language. And you just, yeah. she just learned Chinese. <laughs> yes, yeah. you have to, I guess. It's yeah. the same with businesses and instead of languages, you have to learn how the culture works of your customers. Um, it's, it's very, very different to do business in Germany than in Belgium, than in Holland, than in France. Um, you can't just build up a SaaS product and expect it to work in that culture. That's yeah. it's really tough. So, so you did. You've been a Drupal computer, uh, Drupal competitor or com contributor. I'm still learning how to speak. <laughs> yes, it seems like yes. Right? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Is Drupal is not a normal word? Is that what word, what language is that from? It's a it's a funny story if you want to know. I do. Um, so, Dries is from Belgium as well. Um, and uh, he first wanted to create a community and uh, he wanted to kind of name it to uh, the Flemish word of uh, a village, which is called Dorp, D-O-R-P. Mm -hmm. Now, um, he re was registering the domain names and he mistyped him and he wrote D-R-O-P, uh, which is <laughs> drop. So then they started a little brainstorm and said, okay, how can we now use this in our advantage? And it became uh, from drop in Dutch is Drupal. And uh, to kind of like Englishify it, it became Drupal. That is so amazing. That's why I like what that word just threw me because I say it in my <laughs> head, but I don't say it with, you know, out loud much because, you know, when I'm reading and writing code, like you see it all the time. You can't not see it. Right. So you've been contributing there for over a decade, which is pretty cool. Yeah, right? Within so Drupal, it's probably longer than 10 years right now. So have you contributed to the source at all? Uh, sure. I, um, I basically did my master studies, or I don't know if that's the same name in, yeah. in the mm -hmm. US. Um, yep. And one of the um, end goals there, usually you do some internship, but it was also like a massive project. So one of those massive projects was me to create um, kind of a better search ecosystem in Drupal 7 back then. So a lot of the searching and indexing code in um, a contributed module in Drupal came from me. Uh, and guided by a couple, like a lot of other people in that Drupal uh, space. Yeah, go Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but um, obviously, like then you learn uh, to know a lot of other people. I got to learn a lot of other skills, um, and I, I grew into very different roles. So today, I have to admit, 
my contribution ratio went way down, uh, unfortunately. Well, that's okay because you're contributing in other ways, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you do. I mean, that's sort of like we talk about this a lot. You know, when you're starting out and you're writing code, that's like your entry to the world because mm-hmm. once you show that you can contribute and bring value, that you you're hard pressed to find people in like managers or executive positions now or senior leadership positions that didn't write code for a good chunk because you have to understand where you're coming from, right? Right. Yep. You have to understand the, the from the basis to to these high level conversations. That's what I, I read in your book, by the way, as well. So oh, thank cool. you for for that. Um, kind of confirmed what I was already thinking. Yeah, it's so great. You know, I get I get about three people a day who write me now about the book. Okay, that's and good. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's you know because before you put it out, you're all you know nervous like how's the world going to respond you don't really know and then when you start getting just an overwhelming amount of positive and like you know thanks for discussing like it it just it makes my day like i that's kind of one of the things i i scan for every day is those you know letters or those emails from people it's just really it's really really cool so you you went from that aquia and now you're cto of drop solid Exactly. Yeah. Now that's an easy name to say. <laughs> yes, you probably hear the fam, like familiar uh, familiarity. Ah, yes. you got I, it. Ben. You got it there as well. I'm not native, huh? so <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, you're English. You sound like native speaking English. What, what's your native language? It's uh, Flemish. Well, Dutch. Dutch. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, your your English is like on point. So it's uh, probably of the the years that I uh, spent in the U.S. But yeah, so DropSolid is also doing a lot of business or business development with Drupal. Uh, so that's Great. how I got into that uh, sphere as well. Um, and they were focused on that small to medium market uh, in Europe. So I saw that opportunity. I, I saw like the tech part I, I fully mastered somehow. Or you can never say fully master, but I was very confident at least. Yes. And then there was this position in, in okay, now like we need someone technical uh, because we're in over our heads right now as the, the current owners. We cannot lead our, our dev team any further than what we already did right now. So that's where I stepped in. It, it fully like embraced that idea that I had that Europe needs to grow and, and that these small to medium markets also have so much opportunity to, to be more digital. I had that confidence of the technical level and I had the opportunity to learn all these business processes and and be like a lot more influential in a very different way. So how did you meet Dominique? And by the way, I I love that name Stain because I have a friend in my city named Stain that everyone wants to call him Stigen. Stigen. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone calls him because it's S-T-I-J-I-N. And I look here and I have two connections and I have two friendships in common with Stain. And Which, what's his last name? Because we have a couple of stands in the company. Uh, Delancher. Oh, Delance here. Yeah, it's one Delancer. of our uh, project managers in the in the company. Yeah, he shows up first on my LinkedIn because I That's know cool. Ben <laughs> and some other people with him. But yeah, I saw. I'll tell him. Yeah, yeah Dominic. It, uh, and by the way, Stain, the the guy that's my friend in my town, he's like a really cool person. So I like him <laughs> okay. a lot. Well, I don't, don't even know where he's from. He's just. I saw that name and I'm like, I know that name. <laughs> when we travel to the US or maybe when you come to London, I'll take him with me. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, we had some friends uh, visit from Finland last month. That was really cool. Cool. Um, so so how did you meet Dominique? How did you get involved with, with the project? How did you meet him? Um, 
Well, so um, I think last year or a year and a half ago, I was um, somewhat frustrated with uh, probably the growth of Acquia where it was. And um, they, yeah, there were some frustrations, which is kind of normal when you work in a company for four years. Um, and I think for the first time in my life, I said yes to a recruiter on LinkedIn. <laughs> they're always putting it out there though, right? Yes, they, they always try. Um, and, but it was for a very different position. So obviously, I then I said like, no, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm good where I am. But he, he kind of like said openly, look, it's for this company. It's with that person. Would you be willing to just even have a lunch with him? Um, so I did, and Dominique explained me his uh, goals and uh, what he wanted to do with the company, all his dreams. Um, Dominique is a very inspirational CEO in the sense that he has a lot of dreams. Um, and obviously, with the people that we are right now, we will never achieve it. So we need to grow. And there's, there's a lot of things ahead of us, which is very good to, to have if you're joining a new company. So you go into the company. How did you get the current team to sort of accept you as their leader and, and to follow you? Well, so because I was already someone known from, known from the community, from the Drupal community. Oh, you're um, a rock star there. That's right. Yeah. Well, we don't like to use the word rock star because that no. gives a lot of pressure. And then we see a lot of people burn out because they want it to be a rock star. Um, a leader. You're a leader there. Yeah. So um, we need to be careful with these words, I guess. But at least I was somewhat known. So I didn't have to prove my technical ability initially. So the, the harder part was to kind of show that I was capable of defending them in business processes somewhat. So were they getting a lot of change of direction from the leadership and then you kind of have to come in and uh, make sure that you can control the, the change so you can deliver stuff on time? Is that what it was? Um, yeah, I think you can... Uh, Maybe mention it like that. The the hardest part was that it was a culture of um, who shouts the loudest, if that's something you can say. Yeah, yeah. And I, I worked really hard to move it into a certain agile flow that worked for that company. So every team has its own board, but they are being able to borrow out team members to another team if it gets busy. Um, but it also then reflects into the financial reports of that specific team that they borrowed out that person. Because each of the, the teams in our company have a certain bookkeeping, if you will. Yeah. And, and they need to somehow also prove that they're um, profitable. But if there's, Ooh, I like that. Uh, there's, if there's a lot of pressure in one team to finish a certain project because of a certain deadline of a company um, or a, a client that we work for, it's possible to loan another member from another team without impacting their profitability. So it was a very difficult system to set up in business processes. And I think that's also what I wanted to talk to you about, which was something I was missing a bit in your book, is that as a, a CTO, you're also responsible in connecting all the dots between all the different systems in a company. And like understanding in a 60 to 80 people company as we are in right now, it's already very complex. I can understand that if you're a 100 or, or 400 people company, it's insanely complex. So that was my biggest challenge in the last year is to connect all the dots uh, and to make sure that there are systems and not um, frustrations and emotions. That's correct. Because after you get that down, the repeatable pattern, as you right. start, because you're, what you're in is you're in like a transition from growth to enterprise. So you have different problems to solve at each different level. When you're a startup and it's just you, you're developing the pattern for the actual code base, right? Because you're the lead, 
lead developer. And then you bring, once you have that pattern established with you and someone else, you start adding people. And now you have the problem of going from startup to growth, which is where you're collecting teams, right? So now your core pattern for your software is solved, right? Like you know what's going on, but now you have to organize people around working together and teams and like you mentioned, the profitability. And then once you have teams, you you start to get groups of teams. And that's when you're going from growth to enterprise. And now you have to have a system for organizing groups of teams. And then from there, it's pretty, it's, uh, it just goes as far as it can go. You got, unless if there's maybe another way to state it, but from what I've seen all the way up to 10,000 people, you just get groups of teams. And once you've right. mastered groups of teams, it just can scale as far as you need it to go. Right, and, and getting to that phase with those systems in place that kind of uh, make sure that the team is stable and that there's enough control mechanisms for that team that they're able to control as well. So not as a, um, a system to kind of beat on them with a stick and say, go, 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 that that doesn't work. Um, oh, they no. need to be able to see the dashboards. They need to be able to control those dashboards. And um, I think even more important, they need to agree on what those KPIs are for them. Um, well, they have to buy into them and believe they have to them. buy in, yes. So that yeah, was a I really mean, difficult part as well. Like, what are KPIs for a development team that doesn't do uh, their sales? Um, so we have product teams, we have uh, product integration teams. For product teams, it's easier because that's basically R&D. And you as a company know that you allocate a certain amount of your budget to R&D. And then you follow the regular agile flow of, okay, this is what uh, our roadmap is. Um, this is our capacity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but for those product integration teams, it's a lot more difficult, at least in my experience. So tell me a little bit more about the product integration teams, what they do exactly. So um, DropSolid has a certain install profile. And with those install profiles, we build uh, these websites and integrations with other tools like uh, Salesforce um, and com like competing systems like those. The R&D team builds that install profile and expands on them and has like the, the time to really dig in um, and take the time to do it well. Those integration teams, they use that software and build those ambitious experiences for those companies or those clients that come to us uh, to say like, look, we need this and we want all of this stuff to happen. There's another team, a strategy team in our company that says, well, clients, maybe you should start small. Um, that's already a very difficult conversation and then obviously it needs to happen so the the product team is sort of like building the like the in ruby i'd call it a gem right yep. sort of building the connection with the salesforce or with whatever and then the product integration team is actually building the client's needs on top of that exactly using that tool yeah. okay maybe cool. the the name in in some companies professional services uh, for yeah. these product teams depending on, on how you call it um, and that's also a transition that the company made since I, I got there. Before that, they only had professional services. Um, but obviously, mm -hmm. if you only have that team or that uh, division, you're always building from scratch. And um, that's right. not very profitable. Well, so, and they're different types of developers, typically. Yes. You'll, yeah, you'll want different people. You'll want the people that are building those gems to be building gems all day. Yes. Yeah, right. And then you'll want the people who are doing the client part doing that all day. It's, it's just who they are as, as far as people. So then how did you solve the problem? Did you take the finances of what the client is paying for the experience and then put that as their sort of KPI, like a portion of that budget and say you can't spend more time than this? Or how, how did you come about the resolution of that? No, so um, the, there's a couple of different KPIs and there's a project manager that obviously takes uh, care of the scope. 
um, and the team itself does the, the whole sprint planning or the, the project planning, but we don't plan like the, the full project. Um, and depending on how the project is sold, it could be that we're selling sprints. So we're not committing oh, to cool. um, a certain scope and time, because if you commit to scope and time, then you're probably killing your business. Yeah, no, I found that out real fast. Yes. <laughs> that, that was like 10 years ago, I learned that. Yes, uh, right. So that's also something that we don't do anymore. Or if we do that, it's actually with um, a different part of our business, which is called Cool Drops. And Cool Drops is for the small businesses, and that's purely productized. So it's kind of going to the supermarket and say, in my website, I want this and that and that. And um, the juniors, uh, junior developers that start in our company, um, are in charge of building those websites. So there it's okay to do it in um, scope and time because we know the end result and we know how long it takes to build that end result. So that's a very different, yeah, it's a predictable process. The, the bigger um, developments are not very predictable. So there we sell them um, if we can in sprints. Um, otherwise we sell them in packages and say like, this is must have, um, et cetera, et cetera. And we kind of commit on at least having the must-haves in a certain uh, budget. Now, um, how the team uh, does its KPI is that they have sprints. And it could be that teams work on different projects at the same time in, a sing in the same sprint. So what I've seen in a lot of companies is that you organize your team around a project and not around people. Um, but the difficulty is basically working together with people. And I don't know if you've... Uh, encountered that in your interviews. It's not something I read a lot about yet uh, in, in the book, but okay. uh, I did in, in other books. And um, if you organize your team around people and you put like different projects in it, but you say, okay, from the start until in two weeks, this is the amount of stories that we want to finish. Uh, and we as a team commit to finishing these amount of stories. Okay, fine. Um, after three of those two week periods, you can have an average, and that's the, the basic Scrum philosophy. If you take your average of the last three weeks, of the last three sprints, you can most likely predict how much you can handle in the next two. If your sizing of these stories is somewhat accurate and similar to your previous sprints. So what the KPIs for those teams is to keep that number, the average amount that they can do on um, a full-time engineer division basis, stable. You said something that really piqued my interest. You said organize around the project versus the people. No, organize around the people, not the, the project. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just, I, I wrote it wrong. <laughs> yeah, so it, the, the teams are stable, um, but it could be that projects uh, move uh, within teams, or it could be sometimes that you as a team borrow someone from another team but that one person still is part of the other team, even though it's borrowed to another team. It, it sounds complex, uh, but for um, those teams, it's really useful to identify themselves with a team and not as I'm just a, a part of a chess game uh, where I'm needed for a company. Oh, it creates this sense of clarity and certainty because yes. you know, this is my team, but right now I'm doing something different than where I belong. Yes. And, and that way you always know where to go back to your tribe, right? It's your tribe, basically, yes. Yep. Um, and, and that really helped some, uh, bring some stability in the company. Now, how do you structure leaders within your teams? 
So there's different roles. There's a, an architect role, there's a scrum master role, and there's an estimation engineer role. The, the last one is some role that we invented ourselves. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, so. laughs> you're, like, you're like, we need this person to just be giving estimations because every, we're spending all of our quality doers' time, right? Yeah. Creating estimations. Well, so the, um, those people with those roles are basically responsible of the output of that team uh, when it comes to that subject. So it doesn't mm. mean that no one else in that team is able to do estimations. It just needs to pass through that gate of that person. That's um, smart. And, so yeah. the, the best roles form out of necessity. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it was difficult to find out like what's the structure and, and how can we make sure that we have this quality assurance in, in terms of not just code quality, because that's kind of an obvious given. And there's so much uh, lectures and, and sources to, to find online um, as like continuous integration and all those things. That's the easy part. The, the hard part oh, yeah. is to, to commit on, okay, what did, did we do? Did we do it right? And is the value that we bring to that customer the value that he wants? Like I'm, I'm sure you know that cartoon where someone wants to build um, a sling for a kid and then um, it becomes a sling with a tire and then ultimately it's a really horrible sling uh, because it always gets passed to other people, but in the end, the kid is not happy. Right. They say the uh, horse designed by a committee is a camel. Something like that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you get a group of people to design a horse, it'll look like a camel with all yeah. the humps and the lumps and everything. No, and I, and I find that there's a lot of companies that'll say, oh, we do Scrum or, oh, we do Agile. And you go there and it's like, yeah, you're, you log your issues in Pivotal, but this is, yes. not, this is not what Agile and Scrum is. <laughs> you're just no, using exactly. Pivotal as a to-do list. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yes, and that's also something I, I brought in, not just in the development teams, but also in the uh, marketing team, the sales team. Because you, if you try to do this methodology right, um, which is like bringing the right value to that customer in, in a predictable time, more or less. You need to be able to sell it as well as a salesperson. And that was also really challenging for me. Like, how do you explain all these methodologies um, to a very different group of people that I've never interacted with before? Right. Um, that was uh, difficult. And not just explaining it, but also make sure that they use it themselves as well in maybe the most basic form, because you cannot force to go like all the way for certain teams, but at least having a backlog, having uh, an understanding of how long something takes, more or less, is, is difficult. Having something that is being used properly is better than having nothing at all. <laughs> and then it's also about you know injecting it here and there and slowly building mm -hmm. because you can definitely kill the morale and make it overcomplicated and getting people like frustrated. And then you have to deal with the human part of angry people. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you have to be very careful. Don't go too quick. So how large is your team currently? Um, the company is uh, 75 people right now. Um, there's uh, 60 full-time employees and there's a, um, a bunch of interns right now. So it's kind of skewed towards interns in this period. But in the summer, it will probably go down to 65. But we're intending to grow. How many of those are developers? There's... 30, 30 developers, I think, 30 to 35. So you have like five or six teams? There's uh, five teams indeed. So there's the three uh, professional services teams or the solution integration team. There's an R&D team. There's this cool drops team, which is the junior developers. And there's also like the infrastructure team, which I didn't count yet, uh, but it's also very important because they're kind of the backbone 
uh, for those all those teams. Ooh, explain that one. I'm curious. Um, so the infrastructure team is responsible for the the whole server infrastructure on which mm -hmm. the solution teams basically build their products on, or or the yeah the the client projects on. And their responsibility is at least what I told them is to uh, become useless. Um, as in <laughs> the it. sense that they shouldn't be needed on a daily basis. And that's also a really difficult problem to solve. And maybe you can call it with fancy words like DevOps, um, but you cannot put all your infrastructure in the um, software development teams uh, because that's also very frustrating. Like you, you don't want to do Linux kernel updates or any of those things in, in your professional services teams. That's true. Yeah. So have you have you started sharing any of your knowledge through through talks or writing? Um, so well, that's interesting. So in uh, July, there is a, a Drupal Developer Days uh, event in Lisbon, mm -hmm. and uh, I proposed a session. Um, and let me see if I, I'll send you the link in an email. But mm -hmm. it's uh, it's called like a developer's flight over the cuckoo's nest. Um, and it's it. basically my uh, my story that I'm telling you on this podcast as well on, on how I got from that developer to the role that I'm in right now and, and how you can you scale a company with Drupal and all these different connections, all the, this agile flow. So I'll make that presentation public uh, as well and it will be recorded. Right, so that's in July? That's in July, yeah. Excellent. You're going to do great, man. Are you presenting it in English? It's in English, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I loved all the different parts of it. I think you just nailed it. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Yeah. With a cold too. It's like you're. Uh, uh, you can hear it, my cold. I, I no, hope not, no, 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 but, okay. no. But you said it. But I'm saying, yeah. if you have a cold, that's like an athlete training. You're training under harsher conditions than <laughs> yes. where you're going to have to perform. Right. It's, there is actually a Drupal company in Iceland, so maybe they get that credit of training under very harsh conditions, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they like have their people out hauling ice and stuff, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah, to keep the service cold, it could be yeah. Yeah, I always said that. I said, look, if if I talked to a bit moin a bit mining company who was asking me about putting solar panels on their building, and I said, well, your company is in Florida, so solar panels are great, but I would just like go put the building on an ice cap somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because to Florida, Florida's so hot. I mean, the average temperature is like 83 degrees, 85 degrees year round. And I mean, it's it gets hot. You're paying a lot of money for air conditioning. I was like, just go put it in like Antarctica or, you know, somewhere reasonable. That's I think freezing. I read that like Chinese, some Chinese companies moved to Canada uh, for those Bitcoin mining uh, rigs. So maybe Science. that's, it, maybe it's that's like uh, cheaper in the end for energy. I don't know. But they moved from China to, to Canada. Probably because it was cheaper. Yeah, you don't have to cool. It, I'll tell you, I live in a in a very hot area. Do you do you live in a cold area or, or a warm area? Mm, average. Uh, average. I think similar to New York, but less snow. Okay, I live in a place that never gets snow. It's like a tropical area, right? So, I mean, on Christmas you can go to the beach. It's like seventy something on Christmas, right? So it's that's the type of the area I live in, but in the summers it gets very hot. So it's either it's either warm or hot. Okay. <laughs> and so you don't want servers here <laughs> at all. It's expensive to cool them. But Amazon or Google doesn't have a data center over there because they are so busy with those regions. That they I, do, I... but they'll put them on the they'll put them um, on a city on the water. So. 
So thank you so much for for hanging out and talking. And if people want to find out more about you, which they definitely do because you're awesome, how other than looking through the Drupal source code, right? How would they how would they learn more about you? Um, on LinkedIn, I think there's okay. some uh, some profile information. Uh, I also have my own website, but I I really need to take care to update that uh, with much more recent information. So I, I wouldn't recommend you to go there yet. <laughs> But yeah, LinkedIn is a is a great source of contacting me if you'd like uh, to meet me or uh, maybe have a conversation on, on how you think I could improve or maybe if you need some information on um, how we do things in our company. I'm, I'm very open to to show you all the mechanisms and tools that we have. That's That's what it's all about because those were tools that were not easy to come by. You had to figure it out. And so now it's kind of like what we do as people in our community, we share yep. with, with the other generation so that yep. we can grow. APIs are key. Like if you are not using APIs or if you're using tools that don't have APIs, please stop using them. They Wait, you mean you. screen scraping isn't like no. something we should... <laughs> just, just like, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, so. But that was the whole 2000s though, man. Yes, and, and we're still doing it. Like we're building a scraper right now, um, just to understand our competitor line, like landscape, yeah. um, to understand like what is the system that competitors use, uh, what clients are using those competitors. So we're still doing that. Um, but that's, I think, a, a valid use case. You doing anything with Nokogiri or any Ruby stuff? Or um, I, I did some Ruby uh, back at Acquia, um, mm-hmm. but never really like fully in depth. Um, I'm more into Golang um, or a little bit of Python because we do a lot uh, in infrastructure with Ansible. Yeah. Um, so that's that's more my go-to technologies. I learned about, I saw Golang for the first time about five five to six years ago, like right when it first came out, I think. I think that's when it came out. But I was at a developer talk, like a meetup, mm-hmm. and the guy had written a program in Golang for a satellite that was up in space. And he actually, in the talk, he rotated the satellite with Golang really? functions. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. it was so, I was like, oh my, and he explained how Golang was written to be like the first language that, um, I'm digging back six or seven years ago, so let me try to get this right. It was a language that was written on the concept of, oh, this is how a language would be if, if we did it when we had multi-threaded processors. Is yeah. that the point? Um, yes, that's something like that. Something like that. Uh, but the, okay. the more appealing part for uh, Golang for me was that it's a single binary, um, and you can okay. compile it for any system. And that, uh, in combination with the modern cloud systems like uh, Amazon and, and Google, is a it's a perfect match because it it can scale horizontally because it's a single binary. It doesn't really care uh, where it's hosted or where it is. So it's perfect for these containerized environments. Whereas um, Drupal is a software that's probably predating um, Golang as this. Oh yeah, uh, yeah Drupal's old. Yeah, architecture, um, and it's using also file systems, and it, it's very complex in what it requires from a system. So it's a lot harder to containerize or cloudize, if that's even a word. That's a word now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a word now. So it's, we just it's, did really, it. it's really hard um, to, to scale that. And there's some companies like Acquia, like um, I think Pantheon also in the US that are doing this, uh, but then for enterprises. But smaller scale companies don't have the, the money to even pay for that. So I'm excited to, to see the talk. When, when you do it, you got to videotape it and then post it. They will record it for sure, so uh, yeah. no worries. I send you the link in the chat in this podcast, but maybe you Perfect. can um, also post it if you publish publish this. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. I'll post it in the show notes. We, we yeah. post show notes. So we'll say what we talked about and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, th- Nick, I like you. I can't wait till I'm out in your area. I'm going to stop by and see you. Yeah. Come to Belgium. Come to our yeah. office. We'll have some waffles. <laughs> <laughs> and chocolate and beer. Oh, all the great things. All right? the great things in life. Yes. Awesome.